to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. We got a special guest speaker today. He's a former professional baseball player for the Milwaukee Brewers. After his career, he came and he was on the pastoral staff here at Valley Bible Fellowship for the past 35 years. He is the campus pastor out at the Vegas, Valley Vegas Church, and today he's going to be coming out. So let's give a VBF Bakersfield welcome to Pastor Doug Loman. Thanks, Janarl. Man, that was, that was an official introduction. Well, good to see everybody. Hello, hello, hello to our online audience as well. Always good to be back at the Mother Church. Uh, great to see you. We just uh, came from Pismo Beach, been on vacation. Uh, no, I don't have leprosy. Don't worry. I just uh, didn't realize that the ocean sun is a lot hotter than the Las Vegas sun over there. Plus, you know, as you get older, your forehead starts growing. And so I didn't put enough sunscreen high enough, apparently. And so anyway, good to see everybody. I, uh, I went to Bakersfield High School. How many drillers we got in the house? Not many. Uh, I played not only baseball, but I played football. And uh, for the legendary Paul Briggs, I'm telling you, the things that football coaches did in those days, seriously, they'd be arrested for in these days. You just couldn't do some of the stuff. And we did one drill called Bull in the Ring. And uh, what that was is you get about 10 guys in a circle, and then you get in the middle. You were the bull, and the guys would have a pre-assigned number, and they would call out the number of the coach, one, and then the guy would run in and, and hit you, and then he'd go back in line, four, and they'd go and hit you. The idea was to get you used to, to being on guard because hits are coming at all different angles. And I thought about that drill, about what I want to talk to you about today, Life can seem like one great big bull in the ring, can it? I mean, the hits are coming at one at a time, all from all over, unexpected places, and uh, it's so confusing and, and, and frustrating sometimes when you just keep getting hit, 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 and you got battles, battles, battles. But it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible is very clear that life is a battle. It's a fight between light and darkness and good and evil. If you're a young Christian uh, and you haven't found that out yet, good. Just stay in that honeymoon stage with the Lord. Everything's going super. Don't worry about it. Because soon enough, you'll get to the point where all of a sudden you'll have to begin to walk by faith and you'll go, be go, uh, going through some spiritual battles. But uh, it will happen. The Apostle Paul had to remind his young protege, Timothy, young Pastor Timothy, he had to keep reminding him about life being a battle, that hits coming from all directions. He told him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he said, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, here it is, you fight the good fight. And then he also told Timothy in chapter 6 of verse Timothy, verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. 
Timothy, fight. You, you, you've got to engage. And then Paul, talking about his own life, at the end of his life, said this in 2 Timothy 4.7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've, I've kept the faith. And so life is a fight. In fact, there are three foes that we have as followers of Christ. Three areas, three enemies that we fight against. One is the flesh. The second is the mind. And then the third are demon spirits. Now, uh, I'm going to talk to you today about how to fight your flesh, okay? Uh, I might, the next time I'm here, uh, bring Vicki with me and have her come up here. Uh, we did a teaching on the mind, and Vicki will share a very dark time in her life where she was fighting her mind and how she came through that. I think it'll be very helpful for you. And so we might do that the next time that we're in town. Uh, but today I want to focus on how to fight and how to win the battle against your flesh. Now, the best place in the Bible, I believe, to see this struggle, to understand what I'm talking about when I say the word flesh, is in the book of Galatians, particularly chapter 5. Let, let's take a look at a few verses beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition <clears throat> to one another, <clears throat> so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who, and here's the key thing I want to focus on before we get into our, the meat of our teaching, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, all of us sin. We can be Christians and fall into some of these things. Unfortunately, it happens. Why? Because we are in a fallen world. We carry this, this flesh around. But that is different than practicing something. When you practice something, it denotes that you're doing that thing repeatedly. It's something that you do on an ongoing basis. And I believe that if the Spirit of God is inside of you, if you're born again, you cannot be practicing these things without any sort of wanting to stop them, without any attempt to say, I've got to change this, I need some help, God help me. If, if you can do these things listed here and not feel bad about it and just say, this is a part of my life, I might question your salvation. Is the Holy Spirit inside of you? Because if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, you're going to be wrestling against these things. You're going to be saying, man, I know this is wrong. You know, pray for me. I need to go to set free. I need to talk with a pastor. I need to, to just really say, oh, God, help me. I'm, I'm, I'm falling here. I don't want to do this. That's different. Now, it goes on there in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And here's the key. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The flesh is the term that is used to describe the sinful inclinations or actions of a person 
who does not have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They are not born again or they aren't letting the Holy Spirit lead them. They're born again, but they're what we call carnal Christians. They're fleshy Christians. They, they are living like they used to live. They know it's wrong, but they're, they're just, they've just let their flesh just run amok. Now, we just listed clear-cut sins of the flesh here in Galatians 5. There, there's no room, no wiggle room. Those things are sin. There, there's no way you can explain that. But there are other behaviors that aren't so clear that we must individually settle with the Lord. Things that maybe some can do and it's okay, but others, if they do them, it would become sin to them. And how do you know, you know which is sin for you and which is not sin for you? Well, I think Romans chapter 14, verses 22 and 23 are probably the best uh, portion of Scripture on those what we call gray areas. They're neither black, they're neither white, they're neither sin, they're neither okay. They are things that you will have to sort out individually, personally with the Lord. Here's those verses. It says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, Paul is referencing a very controversial topic uh, in his day here. And he's using the illustration here on those gray areas about meat that was offered to idols. Lots of idol worship in this day and age. And they would offer their uh, idols certain you know, sacrifices. You know, they'd take a steer and offer it to their, to their pagan god. And then they would take the meat that wasn't eaten and they would sell it to the, a butcher. And they had idol butchers and they had, you know, kosher butchers for the Jews. Now, Paul, uh, probably like me, enjoyed a nice steak. And Paul uh, looks like, would say, hey, you know what, guys? He goes on that another portion and says, I've got no problem going to the idol butcher. I know there's only one God all these others are phonies or imposters, and so it's no big deal to me. I just soon go to this idol market. I can get a ribeye there for five ninety nine a pound. If I go to the kosher market, I'm paying ten ninety nine a pound. So same steak, just a half the price. And I just soon, you know, pay the less price. But others would say, I can't do that. I, I can't get a steak from an idol market because my conscience condemns. I feel like a man, like I'm, I'm participating and agreeing with what they're doing in their idol worship. I don't know if I eat that steak, if there's going to be a demon in that ribeye. Am I going to swallow a demon? I, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. And Paul says, well, man, let your conscience be your guide. If you can do it and not feel condemned, man, go get you a $5.99 ribeye. If, if, if a conscience bothers you, if you feel like, man, I feel like I'm sinning, then pay the $10.99 and get you a steak and just have a clear conscience. And so that's, that's kind of how you sort out these areas. For instance, let me give you a real-life example for me. I probably shared this here before. Alcohol. We just read that drunkenness is a sin. There's just no way around it. If, if you get drunk, you have sinned. But what about having a beer after work? What about having a glass of wine with dinner? Is that sin? Well, it's one of those gray areas. The Bible doesn't say that you will sin if you have a beer or a glass of wine. But you have to sort it out. Now, for me, I've, I've, I've worked through that, and for me... It is a sin if I drink a beer or have a glass of wine. 
you say, why? Well, probably a couple of reasons. One is I come from an alcoholic family, and so I have alcoholic tendencies. It just wouldn't be smart for me to drink. Uh, but secondly, and, and probably equally important is, I just feel weird being a pastor drinking. I'd feel weird if you saw me. And you may say, ah, it's no big deal, Pastor. We wouldn't think. Well, you may not feel weird. I would feel weird. In fact, years ago, again, you probably heard this story. Uh, when we were living here in Bakersfield, uh, I was watching a commercial, and it's when, when non-alcoholic beer first came out. And I was watching that, and it was the summertime. I said, oh, my gosh, God has answered my prayers. Because I've been wanting to drink a cold beer on a hot day. We had a pool there. I said, man, I just, that would taste so good, having a cold beer. But I know I can't. But this is fake beer and doesn't have alcohol. I, I can do it. And so I literally got up and I drove down to Lucky's. Used to be Lucky's up there at what, Mount Vernon and Columbus, somewhere up in there. And I went to Lucky's and, and I bought a six-pack of Old Duels. But as soon as I grabbed that thing and started walking the check stand, I started having that little voice saying, oh, Doug. I, I, oh, I said, I, th- I don't, this doesn't feel right. And I, you know how you do, you try to talk yourself out of it. Oh, you're just being legalistic, and it's not that big a deal. It's fake beer. You know, what, what's the big deal? But I, I just knew, like, oh, shoot. This, this doesn't feel right. You know, so I got the check stand. I'm still kind of having this inward conversation. And remember the story, if, if you heard it before, I looked two check stands down, and there's one of you from the church. Can't remember who it was. It was one of you from the church. And you're looking at me like this. And you see that thing in my hand. You can't tell if it's regular beer or fake beer. It looks like a six pack of beer. And man, I was so wanting to hurry up, get, get me through so I can catch you before you leave to show you this is fake beer. And I did. I ran out and showed you. Look at, look at, I'm not drinking. And the Lord right then said, You can't do this. Can't do it. I live in Las Vegas, casino in every corner, slot machine in every 7 Eleven. You can't go anywhere without having the opportunity to gamble everywhere. Now, I don't. Like to gamble. Even when I was in save, I didn't like to gamble. My wife's a different story. Uh, she doesn't, but she likes to. But even if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. <clears throat> why? Because it's, it, it becomes sin for me. You say, why? I just would feel weird pulling the arm of, of a one-armed bandit and, and have you see me doing it. Oh, there's Pastor Doug sitting on a bar stool playing a slot machine. I'm thinking that you might be thinking, whose money is he using? Is it church's money? Is it his money? Has he got the offering there? I just feel weird. I, I couldn't do it with a clear conscience. So, so what is it now to me? It's sin to me. It's sin to me. So that's how you sort out those, those types of things. What might be sin to me, you might be totally cool with it, and you will hear no condemnation from me on it. But what I can do, maybe you can't do. So, so you don't base these things on what other people do. This is between you and God. You've got to sort that out with the Lord. Now, there is not one thing in the Bible that I disagree with. In fact, look what the, the Apostle Paul said. This so, I can so relate to this. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul said, I know that nothing good dwells in me. How many of you are convinced with that? In your flesh, old person, there's not nothing good in you, right? Yeah, we believe that. I mean, we've proven that to ourselves and our flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, 
I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's my flesh. My flesh. I, here, I want to. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, the Spirit of God and wants to do good. I concur with the law of God in the inner man, in my mind, man. I want to do it. I agree with it. Nothing I disagree with. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And Paul later goes on and says, man, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And that is a miserable way to live, where you wake up, and I've lived this way before. You say, God, I'm going to do good today. I want to do right today. I agree with everything you say. What you say is good is good, and what you say is bad is bad. I, I don't have any problem with that. I'm going to do good, and I set out, and then by noon, all of a sudden, I'm being drawn to something I shouldn't be drawn to. And I ask myself, why did you do that? Why did you say that? What happened to your good intentions? I said, I know. I, I don't understand it either. It's my flesh. It's my flesh, man. It's, it's like a magnet. Sin's like a magnet. It just kind of pulls me over to it. I agree with everything God says. I've got that nailed down. Then you say, well, well do you sin? I mean, you agree with everything. Well, yeah. Why this stinking flesh? I let my flesh have its way sometimes. It's a decision choice that I make. Let me, let me tell you what it looks like. You could be cruising along having a great day. And all of a sudden, something happens. Your flesh just rears its head. It, it did to me several years ago. It must have been a Thanksgiving. It must have been a Christmas. It wouldn't have been an Easter, I don't believe, because Vicki and I typically don't cook on Easter because we're so busy with church stuff. But we were having a ham dinner. All the fixings. Man, the scallop potatoes, the green beans, the rolls, all the good stuff. And everything was ready to go. We're just waiting for Vicki to pull the hams out. And... I'm not sure how you were. My wife's a snacker. She likes to like take a little bite here and there. To me, I don't like snacking. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin my, my meal. So I won't eat anything until mealtime. And then I'm like, I eat big portions. And so I'm starving, hungry, ready to eat. And she pulls the ham out and she says, oh, it's not done. I'm like, what? Yeah, I, ha I just had the oven on 300. I thought that was high enough. And man, I was just, I was so hungry. And you know, you get hungry, was it hangry, they call it? I was hangry. And, and man, all of a sudden, I, I'm, I can feel my face just flushed. And got, I got to cook it for another 30 minutes. I said, oh my gosh. And I blurted out, I said, what, what'd you have the hams on? 300. I said, I always cook my hams at 350. I told her. She looked at me, what? I said, yeah, I always cook my hams at 350. She said, you've never cooked a ham in your life, <laughs> which I hadn't. But I just want to make a point. If I was going to cook a ham, I'd cook it at 350. <laughs> Man, I was, I, was, I was going to die in that mountain. No, I've cooked a ham before. I did it at 350, too. Everybody knows that. Who cooks a ham at 300? And so I'm just, I'm just mad, right? I'm venting. And eventually, I'm sorry. I'm just mad and... And it's now become a family joke. Dad, you cooked any hams at 350 lately, my kids tell me. But, but what happened? My flesh. My flesh got out. I, I knew I shouldn't have said it, but just boom, it just kind of came out. And that's the battle that we face daily. Either to die to self and let the Holy Spirit produce fruit, the peace, love, joy, those things. 
or to allow the flesh to live, producing all the yucky stuff that it spews out. Now, I want to close our time today by giving you three ways that you can win this battle against your flesh. We all fight it. We all fight it. Let's win this thing. Here's the first one. Stop feeding it. Your flesh needs food to stay strong. If you withhold food from your flesh, it will weaken. It won't die. It'll only completely die when you get new bodies. How many of you are ready for your new body in heaven? You tired of this old one? You tired of this body that's prone to sin? You tired of this body that's sick? Are you tired of this body that's got bumps and bruises? How many of you are hoping that it's your 27-year-old body? Yeah, that was my peak year. After that, it was a slow fade down. Stop feeding it. The Romans perfected a battle tactic called siege warfare. To siege someone was to send a large army there to the city. And the cities in the time of Rome's dominance were walled cities. They would just wall them. Much like, you know, if you have a business, you, you have a fence around a barbed wire up there. It's to keep the bad people out. And that's what these cities said. They have a walled city, and they could shut the gates at night and keep the enemies from coming in there. And so when Rome would fight an enemy, they said, well, we can't get in. But what we can do is we can prevent them from getting out. And they would just surround the city. And eventually, the Roman army knew that, hey, eventually they got to come out. They're going to run out of food. They're going to run out of supplies. They're, they're going to need to get out. And so whether it be a month whether it be six months, whether it be a year, whether it be five years, eventually they will wave the white flag because they will run out of supplies. We are going to weaken their resistance. And that's what we need to do to our flesh. Weaken it. Stop feeding it. Cut off its supply so our spirit can begin to grow, and now all of a sudden our spirit becomes the dominant force, and then it keeps the flesh in check. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 to 14 speak of this. It says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. These are fleshly activities. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, make no provision don't give any food to your flesh in regard to its lust. Cut off its supply. Siege it. Weaken it. Colossians 3, 5 uh, phrases it another way. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Consider it dead. I'm not going to listen to you. You're, I'm going to starve you off. Now, again, we'll never completely kill the flesh, but we can weaken it by starving it. And here's some ways that you can cut off the supply to your flesh. One, guard what you see. Your flesh oftentimes gets revved up. It gets, gets, gets on the rampage. It, it begins to run amok by the things that you let into your eyes, that you let into your life. Guard what you see. Men, you have to particularly be careful with this. Why? Because the Bible says, guys, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you unique among his creation to, to be the initiator and pro, uh, uh, procreation of this planet. 
you initiate relations to, to have children and other, you know, the pleasure that the, the couples have, but, but you're the initiator. And how God does that is by giving you a, an active thought life and by having you stimulated by what you see. That's why, ladies, this is going to make a lot of sense to you right now. That's why you could be fighting with your man for a couple days and, and he's, he's uh, just been a jerk to you and he's been mean to you and he's been ignoring you. And all of a sudden, come nighttime, you walk across the room in your negligee, and all of a sudden, he's saying, hey, what are we fighting for? Life's too short. Let's let bygones be bygones here. Yeah, he wants to make up for, yeah. Why? Because he saw his eyes. Guys, watch your eyes. Be careful what you let your eyes go to, your phone, your computer. Be very, very careful. I believe David's sin, David's great sin that just really stained his legacy. It, it turned his kingdom rule in, into a, a less of a great direction. It really affected his life. He was never the same man after his sin with Bathsheba, when he, when he slept with Bathsheba. I believe it began with looking at one too many times. Now, guys, gals, you, you can't help the first look. All of a sudden, it looked, okay, I can't help that. I just looked, and there it is. But David went back for seconds. And he went back for thirds. And that's where the problem is. Guard your eyes. Two, guard what you hear. Guard what you hear. Man, your, your flesh can get revved up by just the stuff that you hear. Vicky and I have been, on, again, vacation over to the coast uh, for the last week and busy with grandkids. And just, you know, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, we're just go, go, go. Not much time for TV. And so we have not watched any news really for the last week. And I got to tell you, although we're physically worn out and tired from the, from the grandkids, mentally it's nice to get a break from just all the stuff that's on there, stuff that you just want to bang your head against the wall on the frustration that you see. And so guard what you hear. You'll be, you'll be less angry. Uh, three, guard where you go. Your flesh loves certain environments. Ooh, he loves to get in certain places. Oh, yeah. Boom, boom. He loves to just get out there and old party time, man, certain music. He loves certain people. Hey, that's my peep right there. He likes to do the same stuff I like to. And you get around certain environments. You get around certain people. And then your flesh just, boom, just comes back to life. And, yeah. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you hang with. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, warns us. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If you, if, if you can kill your flesh off, then you're not going to be sinning. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed, it's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter's saying, hey man, you're born again now. You've lived that sinful lifestyle. You've been to all the parties. You've done all these things. You've, you've lived that way, man. That time is over. Live the rest of your life now that you're born again. Live it for the will of God. And yes, not everyone's going to understand that. 
You're going to get maligned. You're going to get called goody two-shoes. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be not included in conversations. You're going to kind of feel like a, a round peg in a square hole. Yes, they'll malign you, but you know what? They're going to stand before the Lord, and so are you. But you're going to stand before the Lord and hear those words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And unless they are born again, unless they repent, they're going to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And so you have to know that. You have to know that. That makes it easier to be maligned by people. So guard where you go. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. Stop hanging out with people who indulge their flesh. Stop going to places that feed your flesh. Stop looking at things that brings your flesh to life. Now, number two, to deal with your flesh you need a deep dive into God. A deep dive into God. If you only dip your toes in Christianity, I'm just kind of coming to church. I'm not getting all crazy on this thing. I'm just kind of dipping my toes in this thing. You'll never defeat your flesh. Your flesh will kick your hind in. It's bigger, badder, and stronger than you. If you're just like, oh, I just kind of come, and yeah, I don't want to get too crazy with this thing. You'll never live a life in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Paul, concerning people who want to live this way, he says, You didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. He says, man, you can't just dangle your, your piggies in, in the river of God. He says, you got to jump in. you got to jump in. you got to let go of the old life. you got to take on all the new things of God. He says, that's the only way that you'll ever overcome the flesh. Uh, let me use a, a, a metaphor here to explain how some people try to control their flesh just by kind of dangling their toes or just kind of taking, you know, kind of a, just a, I'm going to test the waters here. Most of us here have, have attempted to diet at some point in our life, right? We've all tried. And uh, most people try a diet at the beginning of the year. That's the most common thing. That's why you all see a lot of gym membership commercials right around Christmas time, right? They're thinking, okay, gym memberships, join up now, $9 and entry fee, and they know that people <clears throat> have just been eating, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they're ready to start anew. And so, so they advertise it then. And why most diets fail, why most weight loss attempts don't succeed is because uh, they, they don't do it properly. A lot of people think, if I just exercise, I'm just going to join the gym. And I'm going to go to the gym, you know, twice a week. And I'm going to ride the exercise bike for 10 minutes. And I'm going to lift a weight. And, and that'll be good. Now, I'm not going to change my eating habits. I'm just going to exercise. And the only way to lose weight is to have less going in than gets burned off. And unless you run a marathon every day, the only way you're going to lose weight is you've got to really cut back your food intake. And that's hard. That's why dieting is so hard for us because we just like to eat. I like to eat. So... That's what Christians do sometimes to tame their flesh. I'm not going to cut off its supply. I'm going to keep doing all the things I've been doing that might keep my flesh alive, but I'll just maybe go to church, you know, on Wednesday, or maybe I'll just volunteer, 
or maybe I'll just give a little bit more money. I'm just going to add a little something to it. I'm not going to cut off my flesh. I'm just going to add a little something. Won't work. Won't work. The only way you're going to be successful is you've got to cut off the flesh. You've you got to weaken it. That's the only way. Now, to live a spirit-controlled life requires a head-first dive, a sold-out Lay down your life commitment. Don't focus on, I'm just going to add a few things. Make your primary focus on, I'm going to eliminate a bunch of things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just cut off a, a bunch of things. I'm, I'm just going to not let my flesh grow and be strengthened. Now, here's a third thing. To win the battle against the flesh, you've got to find the right motivation. Motivation is everything. You can know the right thing to do, but if you don't have the right motivation, we won't do it, right? I know I should do this, but I'm just not motivated. That, that was my concern concerning uh, weight loss. Uh, I weigh uh, 205 now. I played at 190 when I was playing baseball. I got up to 255 about five years ago. In fact, you know, some people, when we gain weight, it, it, it shows in different areas. Some people, it just kind of goes through their whole body. They're just kind of distributed, and they look the same, right? Others, you know, they get bottom heavy. Some get top heavy. I get face heavy. I look like Jiminy Glick, Martin Short's character. Big old fat face on me. Changes my appearance. In fact, I was at an uh, indoor hitting facility when my son was. My son also played professional baseball. We, we were at, in Las Vegas, and I was watching him hit, and there was an instructor there working with another hitter, and he came over and was watching my son, and we just started chit-chatting, and I was kind of watching my son, talking to him, not really paying attention. And, uh, yeah, I'm Brian, I'm Doug, and uh, I play pro ball. I said, I play pro ball too, and he goes, I play for the Brewers. I said, I play for the Brewers too. And all of a sudden, I turned my attention to him now, and looked over and said, oh, my gosh, that's Brian, a former teammate. I played with him for a year. I said, Brian. I said, Doug Loman. True story. He goes, I played with a guy named Doug Loman. <laughs> I said, no, I'm Doug Loman. Oh, hey, Doug. My parents were so changed because of my face all blown up. <clears throat> But I, it wasn't enough to cause me to lose weight. My excuse was, hey, I've, I've been there, done that. I've been in shape once. It's not all it's cracked up to be. How did you lose 55 pounds? It wasn't because of my strong determination or my discipline. It's because I landed in the hospital with an abscess in my colon, uh, discovered I had diverticulitis. Years of abuse in my body finally took its toll. And, and at that point, I said, man, i got to get serious now because oh, I don't want my gut hurting all the time. And so I had the right motivation, finally, to change my eating habits. That's the only way I changed. And so there's got to be right motivation in keeping your flesh under control. What is my motivation? My motivation for denying my flesh and trying to live for the Lord? It's just simply this. God has been so good to me. If you knew what my life was like, if you, know, if you knew the life path that, that, that I was going to be following in my fully, uh, family, that, that my family history said that my life will, will follow down, you would be so blown away at, at who I am today. So different, so blessed, so, so different than many members of my family. So thankful. 
I, I pinch myself saying, I cannot believe I have what I have. And I'm not, a, I'm not talking money. I got, I got enough money, but I'm talking just grandkids and sobriety and, and respect from people. I mean, all those things. I'm so thankful. So, so what's my motivation? My motivation is God has done so much for me. Whatever he asked of me is no big deal. So if he asked me to, to curb my flesh, no big deal. If he says, Doug, I want you to do my will, and you can't do my will if you let your flesh go, I get it, God, fine. Now, am I perfect? No, we know that. We're, we're going to fail. We know that. But I am committed to showing my loyalty and appreciation to God by dealing with this flesh. And there'll be a battle I'll have until the day that God takes me out of this planet. Lastly, lastly, to curb your flesh, to kill your flesh, to win the battle against your flesh, you need to be filled daily with the Spirit. And I emphasize the word daily. Be filled daily. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit at the point that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you confess your sin, when you acknowledge that Christ died as a substitute for your sin, when you ask God to forgive you, you were given the Holy Spirit and you were sealed. It's like a down payment. You, you were born again. You become a new creature. The Holy Spirit in you is evidence that, that heaven awaits you. That, that, is, that is a once and, and once in a lifetime, one act at a time event, okay? Once in a lifetime event. You were sealed when you were born again. But being filled with the Spirit, that's a continual event. That can be a daily event. It can be a moment by moment where all of a sudden now the Holy Spirit comes up and you're filled with it. It's overflowing. It flows out of you. You're able to, to do some things that you can't do in the natural thing. Why? Because the Spirit of God's producing it in you. All those things, it just flows out of you. So you want to be filled daily with the Spirit. Here's, here's an example of what that looks like. True story. I'll end with this. Years ago, Vicki and I were speaking somewhere. I, it may have been here in Bakersfield. We're at a hotel. It may have been at a hotel for one of our couples retreats. I can't remember. It was nearly 15 years ago. But I remember we were, we were just having a rough go of it for a couple of days. We were just kind of bickering. And just kind of on edge and kind of snapping, you know, each other. And, and typically, when that kind of happens, I'm typically the one who is the snappy one. I'm normally the one that's just kind of a bad mood or just kind of gets mouthy or loses my temper. You know, the whole ham story I told you that. Normally me. But here's what was odd. My wife was short. And that's, Vicky's never short. She's super patient, kind. But she was like short and snappy. And, and here's the other amazing thing. Normally when she does that, I will fire right back on her. It's like, boom, it's on. You know, you hit me, I'll hit you twice. And, and, but I was taking it. I was wearing it. And I was, I was kind of amazed, saying, man, you are, you're taking this thing. You're not getting upset. I don't know why. Just, I just, just odd. Odd dynamic, unusual dynamic that weekend. <clears throat> well, we got up to go that morning, and I was getting ready to hop in the shower, and I looked in the mirror, what the heck? And I looked, and I had something stuck on me. Well, my wife, a month earlier, had had a complete hysterectomy. And they gave her a hormone patch to put on her to help regulate all the stuff that's not there, right? I looked over, and somehow her hormone patch came off of her and landed on me. I don't know how long I had that thing on me. It's a true story. And I told her, I said, this thing works. 
you're mean as a mule, and man, I'm like super Mr. Nice Guy. This thing, man, this thing is pumping stuff into me, man. You got an extra one? I'll give you yours back, but you got an extra one for me. True story. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. It will produce things in you that you do not, cannot produce on your own. You can't produce it on your own. You, you can't produce on any sort of consistent basis peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You, can't, you don't have that in you. You can have glimpses of it in the flesh, in the humanity, but to have the stuff that's necessary, the Holy Spirit has to produce that supernaturally in you. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's how you win the battle. That's how you can defeat your flesh. Okay, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful, God, that, Lord, you have shown us in your word how we can deal with this flesh, God. Like the Apostle Paul says, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? It's a very frustrating way to live, to want to do something and yet not have the power to do it. But thank God, thank you, Lord, that we have this Holy Spirit, that if we will surrender and if we will starve our flesh and if we will do the things that we talked about today, we can live victorious lives over our flesh. He will not be the dominant force in our life. And so, Lord, as, as Christians are just kind of listening to what God is saying to them, maybe on some next steps, I want to talk to you that are here and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't feel bad if you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to know this, that God is very real, that there's an event that's coming up. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's an event coming up where every single one of us will stand before God. We were all, we're all going to stand before God. As I mentioned earlier, for those of us who have recognized our need for Savior, we will hear Jesus say, well done, come into my kingdom. And, and we have heaven, eternity, this wonderful place that the Bible talks about. That's our destiny. But if you're here today and you've never done that, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, unfortunately, the Bible says that there's a place called hell that will be your final resting place. I don't know what it entails. It just describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound very enjoyable to me. God loves you. He loves you enough to have his son come down and die for you so that you'd have the opportunity to avoid hell. But you must receive him personally. You must see your need for a savior. You must acknowledge your sin. You must be ready to, to, to give your life away. You must be willing to live for God. You were created to live for God. You were created to serve God. You were never created to live independent of God. And so today, if, if, if you want to guarantee where you're going to spend eternity, and by the way, not only do you get eternity, but you get the best life now. I've lived both ways. I've done some stuff that, that only God and I know. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. Every sin that, that is, you might think of, I've probably done it. And I'm telling you, this is a better life living for God. It's a better life. If it wasn't, I'd tell you the truth. It's a better life. But you'll never know that until you take a step, until you humble yourself, until you take a step of faith and say, okay, God, I give you my life. You can do that today. And I'd love to be the person that gets a chance to lead you in that prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to act like I'm a 
sinner. I'm going to act like I'm receiving the Lord. And if that's the desire of your heart, you say amen at the very end, okay? And mean it. If you mean it, say amen, and the Holy Spirit's going to come inside of you. Now, here's the last thing I want everybody to do. I want everybody to bow their heads, if you would. I want everybody to close their eyes. I want, I want some privacy, because I know, especially husbands, we get kind of weird around our wives. Courage and boldness will come later, but right now I just want some privacy. I want every eye closed and every head bowed, please, if you would. Let, let's give these people an opportunity. Let's not let anything get in the way of them receiving the Lord. If you want to receive Christ today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Just raise up. Let me see it. Just let me see it. I want to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to say a prayer in a second, but I want to see I want to see a hand. Okay, just raise it up. Let me see. I'm just scanning the congregation. Let me get underneath the lights here. Let me see. Okay, I'm seeing hands. Okay, I'm seeing hands. All right. Okay. All right. You can put them down. Okay, here's, here's I'm, I'm going to say this prayer as if I'm a sinner. And at the end, if this is your heart, you just say an amen. You can say it under your breath. You can say it out loud. Use whatever you want to say, but but mean it in your heart right now. Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I don't want to spend eternity from you, God. And so today, I want to tell you, God, that I'm sorry. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I accept the fact that he died on the cross for my sin. And so I... I give my life to you today, God. I, I'm, I'm going to stop living for me. I'm going to live for you. I don't even know what that entails, but I know it's going to take an initial step of faith that I've got to be willing to trust you. So today, I give my life to you. I ask that you come inside of me, Jesus. Send your spirit inside of me. Come inside of me right now. Let me be born again. Cause me to be a new person. Come inside right now. I give you my life today. I give you my life today. I repent of my sins. I'm going to begin to live differently, but I need power to do it. And so today, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Amen and amen. Okay. Congratulations to you that made a decision. You'll never regret it, I promise you. You'll never regret it. Well, hey, always great to see you. Fantastic always to be here. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Okay, we'll see you next time. for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love.